afternoon, everybody. This is Andy Wyrick. I'm a midwife with Holistic Heritage Home Birth. And I'm Jay Lynn. I'm another midwife with Holistic Heritage Home Birth. And welcome to Midwife Monday. It's been a while. We've been quite busy. Jay Lynn went on a European tour and stuff and left us here. I did. I had a great time in Europe. And nobody cared that I was a midwife. Except for a couple in Belgium who invited me to... His wife was pregnant. The waiter's wife was pregnant. They actually owned the restaurant we were in. They were adorable. And uh, he said, you should come home. Come here. Help deliver our baby. Wouldn't that be cool? That would be really cool. I'd be jealous. So, I stayed here in hot-ass Texas. You did. It wasn't hot where I was at at all. It was amazing. I was sweating sweatballs. Thank you. Yeah. And we went to Amsterdam, which is like supposed to be this risque city. But you know, I'm kind of so ignorant and don't pay attention to things. I'm not ignorant in a bad way. Just like, eyes aren't open to all the things in the world. Um, I didn't notice all the things I was supposed to look for, like the red light district or Shame people man. doing drugs. And I did find out that cafes is where you get coffee and coffee houses is where you do drugs. I don't really you know You did that. not partake? I did not partake. Oh, no. You did not have the true European tour. <laughs> <laughs> I did not partake. I didn't even notice it was happening around me, but evidently um, my other family members said it was happening all around me, but I... Was oblivious. That's okay. That's okay. <laughs> the rest of your family took it in for you. Um, I'm excited to talk about what we're going to talk about Me today. Too. But first, I have two things that I recently found out about that um, I want to discuss. Okay. So the first thing is just like an icky wicky. You guys know that I do not care what y'all do in your own space at home. Like hooves and antlers, go at it, right? Butter on the thighs, whatever you got, do it. There, there's two new things. One of them, people are getting these like water balloon, hot potato type dildo things, and they're playing hot potato with it. Oh, yeah. And then when they're passing it around, but they're passing it around from vagina to vagina, which I don't think is a good idea. You're going to get an infection, so don't do that. But they're passing this thing around from vagina to vagina, and then whoever the hot potato goes mm -hmm. off on everything that's inside of it comes out inside of their body. Yeah. And you lost the game. Don't do that. It's not a good plan. So that's my first one. Like, what are we doing? Yeah. And who decided that? A bunch of friends got together and was like, I have a great idea for girls' night. I don't think it was girls. I think it's men. I think men said, hey, girls, let's play a game. Let's do this. And they sat around and watched. Okay, well, that's which, what I think. which woman said, yes, I think I'll uh, sign me up. Um, to say yes? Yes. If I came to a party at your house and you said, here's what we're going to do, like, peace out. I'm, I'll see you next time. Right. Bye-bye. So don't do that, y'all. That's the first one. The other one is... Because I don't think women think about this on their own. I think some man says, hey, this will be kind of cool. Let's play this game. Because there's freaks in the industry. That's what I've, I've learned. There are some freaks out there. The other thing I've learned is, and I do not know the name of it. One of you, Dirty Dogs, is going to know the name of this. Send it to me so I can remember. But people are... Pooping in condoms, taking a whole duke, freezing it, and then later on using it as a sex toy. That is so wrong. Who thinks of these things? I don't get it. Who thinks of it? That one's kind of funny. Are you kidding? I'm not going to do it because it's dookie, but it's kind of like... Why is it funny? Because it's dookie. It's gross. Dookie's funny. And I just imagined the picture of it. So those are my two gross things. Like, what are we doing? What are we doing? 
Okay, the and other I just one, wonder how they get the poop in the condom. Right? Is somebody holding it for you while you're doing going to the bathroom while you're pooping? I mean, I don't get it. Yeah, because mine is not a perfect. Like, I don't know that I can make a bullseye. Yeah. Yeah. Or then, are you like just pooping in something else and then picking it up and then rolling it on? on, Okay. Moral of the story: Stop doing that. Stop doing that. Okay. Other one. You know, I like words. Verbiage is important. We always talk. You you teach hypnobirthing. We know how powerful words are, right? So I'm reading a new book which is actually really easy poolside reading and it's called um, the history of sex i think it's an orange cover it's really really funny the author's hysterically funny and i think she's my best friend in another life mm-hmm. so each chapter is very small like eight pages and it goes through like oh how did douching come to be how did shaving come to be um how did these words transgress from what their origination was into like these hardcore icky words that we use them for now, like the word cunt, which I used to hate, but now I kind of like, eh, I kind of like it. Uh, that used to be a beautiful word, and now it's something gross, right? So they went through and talked about all the poets, Shakespeare, and all these wonderful people who used those words in whatever they were writing. And originally, um, vagina wasn't a word, right? It was the C word. That's what it was. It was the first name for it. And then along came the word vagina. And I use it and I always think it's like, oh, that's a good word. We're, we're taught that's a good word because it's, it's, anatomically, it's correct. anatomically correct. There's no like, oh, you're TT, you woo woo, you're all that. It's vagina. And then she went into an entire several paragraphs of why that might not have been the best word. So it, it came out in medical text in the 17th century of course a man named it and vagina is the latin word for sheath right so it doesn't it doesn't actually exist except for the purpose to house a penis so its entire existence is relative to the penis Mm -hmm. instead of a standalone and that's why feminists are fighting to bring back the c word because vagina is a literal like, oh, it doesn't exist without the companion of the sword, which is the penis, to now sheath it. Gotcha. No, that makes sense. Yeah. Well, isn't that why they're also bringing back the word yanni? Did she talk about that word? She did talk about the word yanni and that that, that was one of the older texts. And it's um, more of a spiritual. I'm trying to remember. I'm trying to remember, but it's more of a spiritual and more, um, like a more hippie word to say for it. And she did. And, and it had a beautiful history to it. But also like a decorative yay yay history. She it wasn't her favorite word. She, her favorite word is cunt. Huh. I think <laughs> I know. I think words are powerful, right? And I always think it's fascinating how there can be so many words for vagina, the c word, the p word, um, and it's typically meant in a derogatory way, mm-hmm. right? And we never. Um, other than using the saying the word dick, saying guys are dicks, they never think of it as derogatory. Like if they're called that, they're like, okay, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and there's not a lot of words for men's genitalia that's meant in a derogatory way. So even though we give words power, power and they don't need to be meant derogatory, usually the person using the word is meaning it in a derogatory way. Mm-hmm. And I think it's bullshit. Right. And that's really what her whole point was, is that these words 
weren't used in this context originally when they were created and when they were around being used the same as the word whore that was not a bad thing until we've created it for example the word whore was meant um, primarily for the profession right and we've changed that into prostitution but now we use it when you're talking about like a ball buster like hillary clinton got called a whore and all these really powerful women not for what that word means or what the connotation to what that word means but to mean you're bitchy and i will tell you i get super offended when i hear women called um whore slut any of those types of names because one i just think it's baloney because it's never referred to men because it's really it's meant to be for a woman who's sleeping around right Mm -hmm. and I think we live in a world today where that sh- word should not be used in a derogatory way because it is ex- it's accepted socially for women to have many partners. Maybe not in some religious sex, but in general. But it's not okay. It's okay for women, men to sleep around and they're not shamed for it. Do you know what I'm saying? I do. Like women should not be shamed for that. If it's okay for men. And I know that has religious meaning of why women are shamed and men aren't, which I think is baloney too. I think it should be either we're all shamed or it's accepted. Yeah. Very quickly, why the word whore went away, it was used not in a poor way. And then all of a sudden, when somebody would accuse a woman of being a whore, and this was way, 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 way long ago, um, she then couldn't get married. She she really lost her entire life, sometimes yeah. literally, just from a word. And and the court system was inundated by women who were taking people to court saying, he called me this and now I can't get married. I can't ever have children because nobody will have me. So it's slander. So it's slander. And the court got so, so like diluted with these cases that they said, we've got to <laughs> figure this out and that word's got to go away. So they changed the the word to prostitution. Hmm. I didn't know that. Yeah, this book is cool. Anyway, we digress. That's my little tidbits of vocabulary for the day. Um, what we're actually going to talk about is how to set yourself up at home with the best team. And by team, we traditionally think, right, oh, the midwife or the doula, um, my partner. But it's everybody you invite. Every single energy that steps into that space, whether it be positive, negative, or neutral, is going to have bearing on the outcome of the birth. Yeah. And we have seen, Andy and I, in our in our practice with other midwives we've talked about, really my whole career as a midwife up to date, <laughs> I have seen a birth team derail the whole process. Absolutely. Completely derail. Um because that energy that you're inviting into your space is going to affect your labor and your birth outcome. 100%, whether it's positive energy, negative energy, nervous energy, fearful fearful energy, too many people, you feel like you're a, a water being watched to boil, pot watched to boil, how's that saying go? Yeah. It makes a, it affects your whole birth experience. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's really important who you invite. And I will say, like, a lot of people um, talk about whether they should invite their moms or not and their mothers-in-law. That's a big one. It's huge. And I know from personal experience, I didn't want my mom at my births. 
I knew what her energy was. I knew she was nervous. She would say the silliest things to me. I'm in labor and she says, oh my God. And we're on the phone. I'm like, well, talk to you later, mom. And just hanging up. Because I didn't want to hear it on the phone, her nervousness, Mm -hmm. right? And I feel like moms are either two ways. They're not really in the middle of the road kind of people when it comes to labor. They either have a really nervous energy because this is their baby and their baby's having to work and they perceive it being hard and treacherous or they are reverting back to their own birth experiences and they're throwing that on them. So they're not great energy in this space or they're the exact opposite. They're beautiful and supportive and they're not scared, but they're not in between. That's right. Would you say that's true? I would definitely say that. And and I would say, and it doesn't even matter if it's the mom or the mother-in-law or the sister or the friend, if it is done out of obligation, they're not invited to your birth. You only invite people who you want to be there because they are going to add to the birth experience, not because, oh, I'm inviting my mom, her feelings are going to be hurt if I don't invite the mother-in-law. No, it's not an obligatory sport. This is your birth. It is your birthday party, and you get to send out the invitations for it. And I also think it matters what birth order it is. If you're a first-time mom, you have no clue how you're going to be in labor. You've never experienced it before. You've taken the classes. You've learned all the things. But there is learning, and then there's a knowing. And I feel like we don't really know like a deep knowing until we experience it. I agree. We can learn all about labor. We can learn all about surgeons and how strong they're going to be. And we can do the little ice thing and put your eyes in, breathe through it, all that, which I think are great exercises. I'm just saying there's no real knowing until you're in it. Yeah. And you don't know who you're going to be in that space. So you don't even know who you're going to want there in that moment. I always liken it the first time uh, labor. Would you want someone there watching the first time you had sex? Well, having labor is kind of similar. Do you want someone there watching you when you don't even know who you're going to be? That's very vulnerable. I, I just want to really vulnerable. And it's not just um, who you're willing to be vulnerable with. That is one part of it. But it's also who is sharing your philosophy. They have to be supportive of the choices you're making. You can't come in fearful because then that's going to like invade you and invade your mind and invade your partner's mind. And then you're going to be worried about them. You cannot worry about the people in your space. So they really need to be on board and know that you're in charge and this is a decision you made because it's going to be impactful if they're not. And this really doesn't matter what location you're having a baby in. Whether it's a hospital, a birth center, at home, your car. Usually it's your car, it's not very many people there. But I'm just saying it doesn't really matter what birth space you're in. You want to handpick your team. Mm-hmm. And that's really right to your labor and delivery nurse. If you go in there and you don't have a good vibe with your labor and delivery nurse and she's not on board with your three-page birth plan, get another nurse. That's right. It's okay. Just ask for someone. Hey, I want someone that's a little bit more sympathetic to my needs. I'm not feeling a vibe with you. You're probably lovely, but I think I need somebody else. I agree. It can really make or break your experience. Yeah. So you really want to. Um I don't know if it's on Andy's got a list. I just go off the top of my head. She has a list, and that's our personality. It is. <laughs> and you would think it's the opposite. Yeah. I'm so anal. 
Um, and that really includes like your birth partner, whoever is going to be your main support person really needs to be on board with your plan. They need to be educated about what's going on. How can they help protect your space Yes. if they don't know what's going on? And it's not mandatory in our practice, but I do recommend anybody that you're going to be inviting into that space, they need to have read a book, watched your home birth, or even come to a visit with you and fill it out. You need to make sure these people are the right people. Yeah, because um, if you're, no matter where you're having your baby, your main support person should be educated about labor and delivery. Because um, sometimes I feel like when we're, um, when people are in the hospital having their babies, um, they give up all control of the hospital and feel like they don't have to worry about anything. Oh, she's in good hands. I don't have to make any decisions. But it's really not the case. Right, your birth partner is going to be a better support to you if he understands the whole labor and delivery process and what's normal, and that way they're a better support person, and you're going to get what you want out of your birth versus just riding the ride of whatever people are telling you around you. Mm -hmm. It's not as intentional. Right. The next thing you'd really want to look at is. Everyone that's there should have a role in some capacity. Yeah, we don't have, you're not an animal in the zoo to be watched, right? We don't need a team of looky-loos. We need people who are going to do the things. I actually, when people showed up, their name was on it, and it was a list of, hey, I want you to do all the laundry. You're going to boil the herbs. You're like, everybody had something to do. And if they don't want to do something, then they're not invited. You're not being supportive, and you're not helping me. I think that's a good plan. And, you know, births come in all different size, the team. Some of them are really small and intimate. Some are really big. Um, I always suggest, too, if it's going to be a really big birthday party, maybe they don't all have to be there for labor. Yeah. Because to have 20 people watching you labor, that's hardcore. It is. And, that, and I, I will give this little pause Neither one is right and neither one is wrong. It's what you need. That's what's right. Yeah. When you're because I had 17 people at all of my home births. They weren't your first. No, but I had as many people as the hospital would allow it my, my first two. You did? I did. And that gave you comfort? It did give me comfort because those were my people. But they were also not ass clowns. Yeah. Like they were there to support me. Yeah. I've seen some really huge birthday parties that went beautifully, and I've seen huge birthday parties that um, slowed things down. Sure. And that's why we're talking through this, so you can think, like, oh, yeah. The next thing would be, um, are you comfortable to be naked in front of them? Not just naked, because you might be able to stroll through, and your things are hanging, and your cursive lines are all out everywhere. But what about if your hands and knees and your butthole's out gaping? That's the kind of comfort level I'm talking about, because that might very well be what's happening, that your hands and knees with the big open butthole and poop's coming out of it. If you're not comfortable with everybody in the room seeing that, don't invite them to your birth. Right? Yeah. I will say most people aren't um, comfortable with anyone seeing that, whether that's their spouse, their mother. Well, that's the probably the biggest thing that people tell me in visits are like, possible. am I going to poop? I don't want to poop. They're more afraid of poop coming out than a baby. Well, it's very, I mean, like, it's poop, whatever. But especially if it's going to be your mother-in-law and you don't want her to see you on hands and knees and, like, 
Even if you're not pooping, your butthole is out and they're literally looking at your vagina open and your baby coming. If you don't want that and that makes you feel some sort of way, they're not the right person to be there. Yeah. Yeah. I would agree. Um, the other thing, can they easily be uninvited without ruining Thanksgiving? Yep. I, I counsel people. I think we all do to counsel people. Okay, invite who you want. But also have a, a word that you can use with your spouse, your main support person, your midwife, your caregiver. This is maybe you've had enough of these people in the room. Or that you've discussed with them prior. I may come to a point where I want you to leave and I need you to feel comfortable with mm -hmm. me saying, I need you to leave. Without resent. Without resent, right? Because... I feel like sometimes we invite people to the birth space because we're meeting their need and not your own need. Mm -hmm. And it is okay for you and your pregnancy, your birth, your postpartum, your breastfeeding journey to be selfish about your needs. It shouldn't be about meeting someone else's need. Oh, it's the first grandchild. They really want to be there. And oh my gosh, I would hate to, I hate to pull that from them. But does it give you peace and comfort? Right. And if it doesn't, it is okay to be selfish. And I think it's hard for us as women sometimes to be selfish. Mm -hmm. yeah. We want to give and we want to make everyone happy. Um, and I feel like as a society, maybe we should be educating us as a society, the mothers, the sisters, the aunts and uncles, to be thinking of the birthing person's needs first before our own. Wouldn't that be nice? Right? <laughs> Not, oh, I'm her sister, we're best friends, and I just want to be there. Maybe she wants to just intimate with her and her husband. Right? Mm -hmm. Maybe that's most important to them. And she's scared to tell you that because you guys are so close, and she loves you, she loves you so tremendously. But this is the beginning of parenthood for them. It's really intimate. We have to give space for people to be selfish. Yeah, and and allow your it's not a, and allow your partner. Um, I remember at one of my births, I had some friends there, and I looked back at the pictures and like they really kicked him out. They really kicked Chris out of being right there. They were the ones pushing my hair back. They were the ones holding my hand. I'm like, and yeah. as a birther, you're so wrapped into just being focused in that moment. I didn't look up to say who's holding my hand or where's who, but I look back at the photos and I'm like, he wasn't even first or second. Mm. That's wrong, y'all. That's wrong. Yeah. Your partner should be right there if that's who you want. I yeah. wanted him there. Um, the other thing, and, and uh, is this a new revelation for me? I never really considered it. But if you have a history with somebody in your family that is traumatic or over and over again, they've let you down or over and over again, they've let poor things happen to you. Not the best person to have, person to have at your birth. It's going to be triggering to have them in another room when the history with them has been in a sense of letting you down or not coming through in a supportive way. Yeah, because labor is so vulnerable. We are really at our raw self for labor and birth. Um, and all of those things, when we're feeling that vulnerable, it doesn't take much for that person that let you down or let bad things happen to you 
just seeing them can evoke those same feelings because we are so vulnerable and we are a little out of we're, we're not really controlling 100% what's happening um, so we can feel out of control and then those people that you think are safe all of a sudden become unsafe because they trigger that emotion that feeling and you may not even be aware that that's happening to you all you know is hey, my labor's not going right anymore, and I'm not progressing, and things feel so much more intense than they should be feeling, and you don't know why. Right. You've just been triggered, and you haven't even been able to connect to what's going on. Right. Because coping really is not only a physical part of labor. Coping is also a mental part and an emotional yeah. part, and I, all three have to work together. I think labor is more of a mental game than a physical game. I do. I think physically we can handle anything that comes our way as women, and men too. I'm not, I'm just in this instance, we can handle it because um, we deal with what's in front of us, but mentally, man, it can mess with us. Okay. Our yeah. brain is very strong. Yeah. It's very, very strong. And I can tell you, um, I've seen, when I say I've seen the whole process derailed, I've seen women get C-section because somebody in their family member didn't think they were, they could do it. She's so tired. I don't know how she can do this. And if you're looking at the person who loves you the most and telling them, you're so tired. I don't know how you're ever going to push a baby out. This is, oh my gosh, you're suffering. Gotcha. Somebody saying that to me, I'm going to be going, God, I am tired. I am suffering. This is horrible. So family members, don't say that. Even if you're thinking it, go out to the car and go vent to somebody else and then come back. Yeah, and leave the energy out of the room. I mean, I've seen it happen with husbands who the labor so long, they're tired. Yeah, we should just... And they get... Someone comes in and says, maybe we should have a C-section. They'll say, yeah, let's do a C-section. I'm tired. I have seen that happen. I know. And they're that close to having a baby. That close. And she'll turn it off. Yeah. She'll turn it off. Because um, they need the support in that moment. Yeah. They totally need it. So your birth team is probably your number one success story in getting the birth that you want. It's not 100% because nothing's 100% you guys. But it's. I think it's the number one thing of getting the birth experience that you're looking for. And we're going to wrap it up with two other things. When you're talking about birth team... Don't forget about children. Children are great to have at birth if you want them and if they can handle it, but prep them. Really think about it. Talk to people. Talk to your kids. Bring them to visits. They do good, and I think it's valuable, but only if it's valuable to you as well. Right. And within your team is also your midwife. At any point, or your physician, at any point, if you're not comfortable anymore, you're not comfortable anymore, and yeah. that's it. Yeah. That's it. Happy Midwife Monday. Create your best team. That's right. That's right. See you guys next time.